Welcome to the Small Business Podcast. We bring you weekly information, practical skills, and mentorship from industry professionals. This podcast is powered by T, an initiative that has directly impacted over 50,000 plus small businesses nationwide. This podcast is for small business owners who want to start, run, and grow their business. Follow us on all our social media platforms. Hashtag join us for tea. Every Wednesday is a new podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I've got an amazing lady um, on the podcast today. I mean, I think on the back of the fact that we just celebrated Women's Month in the month of August. I mean, Women's Month shouldn't just be you know, encapsulated in thirty in a 30-day cycle. But I think for us here, it's, it's an everyday conversation. And I think just being able to open up um, economic spaces and hearing women's voices and what they think across the board, you know, across all socioeconomic impact um, elements then sort of drives us. I think it drives us from an understanding as men, as entrepreneurs who are in the various spaces to understand how to relate to them better and how to get them better. And I've got an amazing lady by the name of, I think she's got one name. So I think everything <laughs> is just sort of joined into one. But uh, Tule... Tule Bona. Tule Bona. Yes, that's That's one name, ladies and gentlemen. She says it's two. It uh, sounds like a poet. Were you raised by poets? I suspect my dad was. Um, <laughs> but I think he was. I mean, just even the meaning of my, my name actually um, has, has a poetic meaning to it. So... So, yeah, I think you're right. I think your suspicions are spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think before we get into the nitty gritties, just introduce yourself, man. Tell us who you are, um, where you're from. Yeah. You know, I mean, Sanson <laughs> is not where you're from. That's right. <laughs> where you're from and, yeah, I mean, what what inspires you? I think it's a, it's a loaded intro, but... Yeah, hey. Well, so, I am born and raised in Soweto. And I am four, uh, I've got four siblings and I'm the fourth of, of all of them. Uh, so it means I'm a last born. And basically, yes, I am Swati um, by tradition, if you like. And yes, born and raised in Joburg. And really, I am an entrepreneur. I have a day job, and in my day job, I am, you know, a public policy officer. And what really drives me, really, is just the heart to serve, you know, the heart to empower, the heart to basically, you know, change the lives of those around me. Um, but I think in, in just shorts, I am an entrepreneur, I'm a social justice activist, and I am a finance, fitness enthusiast. But I think mostly I'm a self-love and healing evangelist, like I call myself, because I think I believe in a holistic way of living. Um, but what really, really drives me every morning is to basically, you know, see the lives of those around me change. And I do this through entrepreneurship in my various businesses. Uh, so I run a, a writing consultancy called Fundanati, where I really capacitate uh, businesses to basically enable them to write you know, really interesting content which they cannot lay out themselves. And in my other aspects, really, I'm a life coach, um, which speaks to the fact that I love working with women. I love working with young people. And so for me, that is also just a driving force to basically live this world a better place. And, you know, in my other life, um, I'm also a stakeholder relations uh, expert, which I obviously from time to time help out 
companies to be able to, you know, almost um, be the middleman between them and their clients. And yeah, so I think that in essence covers who I am. And I love life. I love people. I really, really love seeing others smile. And, and I think that's what just drives me. And I mean, interesting, right? Because I think some of the things that you sort of mentioned here are things that I, I don't know. But I mean, what sort of inspired you to sort of go into the trajectory that you've taken? I mean, you've taken and you've sort of gone into into the market as this professional individual, but you also then wear an almost civil servant sort of hat and to a degree, you're an entrepreneur, you know? Mm. What inspired you to take that route? And you know, economies being what they are at the current moment, and even before COVID and the lockdown, they were still very difficult. And I can imagine how difficult it was as a woman. Yeah. What inspired you and how do you get by in this crazy environment? Sure. I think I really did not decide to take a certain trajectory like other people. So other people, you know, almost know from the get-go. Their, their, their path is almost linear. So they are born into an entrepreneurial family or from a young age, they kind of know, look, a nine-to-five job is not quite me. So, you know, they, they leave that space and they go establish themselves like as an independent, uh, you know, party or whatever you call it. So for me, my... Um, passion to serve really and I and I think I do this throughout my life even in my businesses I don't live to make profit but I think through serving then comes the profit as an added effect to it right so I started off um, in the civil society space and the in, you know NGO space because like again I had this passion to just change people's lives and I had this crazy um, you know passion for education passion for development but I didn't know how to curate this and I think it was kind of incidental at that point that um, I thought well look going into government will be a good thing and then I was in government and then you know as we all know like you know government is also <laughs> filled with its own challenges and I thought look I'm not quite maximizing my talents, maximizing what I really am about because I think I feel like almost there's more to life than just going to work and collecting a salary every month. So in any case, I left that and then I went into the media space, which is where I kind of you know, found my, my writing capabilities and almost like my creative juices, if you like. And I almost said to myself, okay, so if I am able to almost right across spectrum of, of topics and, you know, a range of, you know, almost things that I, I like covering. So business, finance, social justice, um, art and everything else. How can I make money out of this? And so coming out of that space, I could see myself as a creative and then thinking, how can I get paid to do this, right? And I thought, let me start a writing company because I know a lot of people struggle with writing. And for me, it comes very innate it comes very naturally to me um and how can i then almost maximize this to make money but also you know almost unleash the 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 person in me that loves reading and writing um and then i mean that went on for a bit but i think at the back of that i had a you know a personal experience that pushed me into life coaching when I started working on myself, wanting to the, be the best version of myself, imagining myself as almost a very high-level person, you know, very successful, um, very influential. And the kind of work that I was doing, I felt, you know, look, I have the tools at my disposal. Um, at the time, I was being coached, but also doing the work myself. And I thought other people 
don't generally have access to this. So how can I then allow others to see what's out there? How can they reach the goals that they want to, but in an, in a way that allows them to be themselves and facilitate that process? So that's how the life coaching came about. And then in the middle of that, you know, I mean, people reckon that I I'm very, you know, I'm, 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 you know, almost I've got wisdom and I give good advice and you know I'm almost always the glue to to the company of where I am. And, you know, someone then approached me to say, well, would you mind doing, you know, stakeholder relations for me? And I thought, well, look, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then it worked, right? And I started working with these small businesses because for me, again, I like kind of taking things from like cradle to grave. And I like building ideas. I love starting things from scratch. And so that really became the basis of me becoming an entrepreneur. But, you know, that was just almost incidental where I bumped into these things where I liked and I, I wanted to get paid for it. Yeah. So that's how I wear my entrepreneurial head. But if you, if you ask me, I'm really a civil servant at heart because I like being in a position of leadership, whether at the back or front. But mostly, I think what really sums up my life is service to others. Um, and I do this even at church. I do this in my community, even in, you know, my family, group of friends and outside of that. And I think because it's a ripple effect, people almost want to identify all the things that you're good at. And I was kind of afraid that, you know, at some point I'll run more than three businesses because you, you identify one thing and then one thing leads to another. So I did not become an entrepreneur by choice. I think kind of life chose it for me. And I then became someone who likes just using service throughout my life to change the world and impact others. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of interesting, right, how... I think you, your your journey has elements. I think at an infancy stage, where you were writing, do you sort of do you sort of feel like that the time you spent create you know doing creative work and creative writing sort of helped you um, to be able to tell your story better? Because I think one of the things that I we I intrinsically pick up is that a lot of entrepreneurs um, struggle with telling their stories because I think their story is what makes you uniquely you before you engage on the product and the sort. Yeah. Shoot, I think I love how you kind of, drew, you know, drew the thread uh, within that story because I think ultimately I'm a storyteller. And what I do in, in my writing is, you know, even when I was a journalist, I, I tried to kind of bring the details of the big jargon and, you know, almost like the big story into the most simplest way. And I think, again, I connect to people through their stories, through their life stories. I love listening to people. And I think my entrepreneurial journey has been the most fulfilling, if you like, because I've been able to listen to where people come from, where they are and where they're going. And that alone is like almost a, you know, a thread of a story that can fit into your life at a certain point, but also allow you to kind of think of your life in retrospect, where you come from, where you are and where you are going. And that's what connects us, right? Being able to have these, you know, almost commonalities and familiarities with each other. You know, the fact that I could meet someone from Soweto who's always, you know, also just really passionate about their entrepreneurial journey. And I can meet someone from, let's say, Mamelodi or mm. just any township or even just the suburbs, if you like. And they want to tell their story through what they've been able to do with their lives. Because all of us have a story to tell. And I think that's just like the most important thing. And with me, I've always loved reading. But 
the the books and the things that I love reading the most are biographies. I think I'm inspired by people's journeys because I think we all have a unique and very, um, you know, distinct story, if you like. Because, I mean, as I mentioned, I'm like, you know, the last one of four siblings. So we may have grew, grew up in the same home, but our trajectory and our life stories are all different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I've come to appreciate through my life story and learning to then, you know, appreciate what other people have been through on their own journey. And I realize we're all on a journey. And that journey has, you know, many chapters. And you then listen to where people are and the kind of stories that they've been through um, and where they really want to go. It's very inspiring because you look at life in a in a colorful manner when you look at it like that because you realize, look, I think, <laughs> you know, the beauty of life kind of transcends across color, age, skin, cred, um, and on all of these differences that kind of, you know, differentiates us. But I think when I come to appreciate, especially with meeting people like you, is that what we all want to do is win in life. But how we get there is, is very different from for all of us. Like I said, some, some people have easy journeys. Others have, you know, less than difficult journeys than we've had. Others have difficult journeys. But the beauty is that we all come out winning. And I think that's been almost an inspiration for me to sit and listen and think, oh, and I thought I was, like, I thought I've been through a lot. But they've been through a lot. And then I think, whoa, you know, I've been through a lot. But hey, man, um, you know, I'd actually love to or oh, aspire to get to where... Yeah the person I'm sitting next to has gotten to. So the beauty about it is that we all have a story to tell. Now, <clears throat> now in all these years, right, I've gone into boardrooms, presented, and I've met uh, women, and I, and I won't just say women, but I've met amazing women, right? Um, one of the key things that I've found is that, you know, there's a... They then become the creatives the proposal analysts the ones who give the creative direction but not necessarily the one who'd raise their voice and say that i'd want to lead the pack right Mm. and what helped you gain that voice and then what do you sort of think you know other women that are listening to this need to do to be able to sum up that boldness in them for them to be able to gain their voice, whether it's in their workplace, it's in their academics, it's mm. in their entrepreneurship journey, um, largely so because quite a lot of them are uh, operating in a very patriarchal environment. And how then do they then start to own their story and not be intimidated by whether toxic masculinity or whatsoever the case is? I grew up in a pack of boys, so I was always like the rose among thorns. Uh, so I don't know if that worked in my favor to be able to say there's nothing that is impossible. Because when I look at men, men are not scared to either, you know, figure something out as they go along or to admit, I don't know, but I'm going to know. And I think men have been kind of given more permission than women to be, say, you know, to be able to say, ah, look, I don't know yet, but I will. And I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. We, we, we want to be ready. I mean, in all the studies that you read, they'll tell you, actually, men apply for a job with like less than 40% of the requirements. Women want to have 60% of the requirements before they apply, you know, to feel like, yeah, now I'm ready to actually take the role to lead. And we hardly ever put our hands up because we feel like someone else needs to lead the way. And I understand because, you know, being the first of 
the first woman to do something, the first black woman to be, um, ain't easy. But then I think with that comes also the opportunity to kind of really, uh, you know, carve the path for yourself and those behind you. What gave me the voice is not only the fact that I grew, you know, with, with, with boys or men only. I think for me, I was also raised... <laughs> by women who are fearless, okay? So my sisters, my mom, we're not women who are shy away from, like, taking the lead and taking responsibility. And I think the beauty, th- you know, the beautiful thing about, you know, being raised in an African environment that is led by a matriarch, you realize the power that women have. It's not just men that possess the power. In fact, the power that women have, I think, is more humbling because, you know, they are able to cultivate humility and compassion and when you when you mix power and compassion and humility i think there comes a lot of impact because you're able to connect with people at a deeper level not just from a high impact perspective if you look at companies that are led by women you know the connection within those teams are much deeper than teams that are led by men because women are able to nurture. And what I've come to learn with just not only the family that I have, even just friends that I have, is to be able to say, look, I'm scared, okay? So I've taken a lot of risks in my life, including leaving a a job and saying, you know, actually, this is not working out for me, so I'm going to try something else that I've always wanted to try. And whilst I do that, I'll fail, but that's not the end of the journey. I won't fail forever, and I think I'll get it right at some point. And I think what I've actually then done with me taking the first step is that I've met almost people that are ready to pick me up. My my keepers, my mentors, my coaches were there to actually be, you know, so it's almost like the universe conspires with you to say, oh, so you've taken the first step to be brave. Okay, I'll bring people along to support you. And what you then do is that you then identify people of your tribe who have the same mentality. And when you see other people also step out of their comfort zone, step, you know, out of their fears and and all sorts of, you know, hang hang ups about their journey, you also gain, you know, kind of more confidence and more momentum to actually be able to, you know, step into more uncharted waters. Um, So, you know, like now I'm working on a new project as well. And I think because I don't have experience in that, I talk to men um, and I ask them, like, you know, how do I do this? And by that, I don't mean I should look at it only just by saying I'm tapping into a man's brain. I'm looking at it as I'm tapping into another human's brain. But when I then establish myself in that area as almost like, um, you know, a go-to person in that industry or that sector or what area that I'm, I'm going to be starting the, the, the new venture into, people will think, how bold is she? But, you know, they kind of don't understand there's also prep work behind that um, where I've got a team of people. I, I can always tap into brains of men and women who've done this before and by the time I do it for me yes I am scared but I know that there's people behind me ready to 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 walk with me through this journey yeah now you've certainly done a lot now just tell me this how have you dealt with the various I guess I'll call them milestones various events and milestones of failure in your life you know because um I think to this day as an entrepreneur you know, we experience crazy amounts of rejection. But I think what I've seen over the years is they are the ones who, it's not something that you kind of get used to. Mm. 
Mm. But I think it's something that you sort of deal with each and every day, right? Because failure is different. Rejection is also different. And it's also at the height and the level of the rejection. How have you been able to maneuver something so uncanny and so uncommon? (laughs) So I know that, like, you know, like, failure is not sexy. But I think if you make friends with failure, um, I think a very renowned um, musician, Kanye, whom we all aspired to have his failure you know his fearless nature um he 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 always then reminds people how he's made friends with failure and i think for me because i've been down there in the trenches for a very long time um i've kind of then made friends with my failure and how i wake up every day is to say to myself look it doesn't matter how many times i fail it doesn't matter how many times i get rejected the point is what is meant for me will be it doesn't matter how long it takes me to get there but i will get there and i think because most of the time when we look at failure is because we we want to perceive failure you know along the lines of you know, the time-space reality. So that means at the point where I'm looking at why has this thing not happened and where I want to get to and how far am I in between time and space, between getting to, you know, getting from where I want to be and where I where I am and where I should be, is that you look at yourself almost as inadequate and not worthy. But I think for me, the way you can cultivate and maneuver, if you like, which I don't think you should, actually. I think you should invite failure. I think you should invite fear. And I think you should invite rejection and ask it, what is it that you really want me to work on? Because you see, when you get rejected, it's either you're getting directed to where you should be, one. But secondly, you're also then uh, given an opportunity to improve on a particular thing that you're probably not getting right. And once you work on that without almost the the judgment of what that means, you are able to move forward in a much positive way. And you, for me, I think you are times, 10 times more powerful when you move out of that space because you begin to understand that success is a process. And within that process, there's failure, there's successes, there's failure, there's successes. But all of that build up to a moment in time that we call milestones. And I was saying to someone this morning that when you one day launch yourself as a successful blah, 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 entrepreneur, one day when, um, you know, I am a, a multi, you know, a multi award winning entrepreneur, people think it started yesterday, but they do not, they do not understand that I've gone into boardrooms, I've, I've uh, you know, kind of written all sorts of proposals that were never answered. I've called people that have not responded to my emails. And what that does is it builds resilience within you to understand exactly what I said at the beginning of what you asked me to say, what is meant for me will be. And what you then do is that you exert the kind of energy that you need to. And what you do is that you focus and you work at it consistently. And I mean, you know, when you do something consistently and you put your mind to it and you think, look, I'm going to win at this eventually, it will come to be. Now, now tell me, there's something that you mentioned there, right, which, which sort of kind of links with one of, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. In sort of building, I don't know, in sort of building resilience, right, 
I mean, how have you then been able, I don't know, is the right question, and you'll tell me this, right? Is the right question, how do women build resilience? Mm. Or how do individuals in general build resilience? So, so I mean, I'm asking this from a male's perspective, mm. right? To sort of, sort of guide the conversation and then you answer it in the best way possible. Mm. So that at the end of the day, it, and I love what you said, you know, it sort of links to Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hour rule. Yeah, exactly. Going into the trenches. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. if, knowing that you're an overnight 15 year success. How then do we or women build resilience, you know? So, again, other people's path is very linear, okay? There are people who know who they are from literally the day... (laughs) It sounds crazy. But from the day they're born, okay, they know I... Look, I'm born for greatness. It doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter what opportunities I get. I know, like... if I. So when I look at, like, a a Casta, for instance, so Casta has faced all sorts of, like exclusions and so all sorts of challenges that you can mention or think of as an athlete especially as a black like lgbq athlete but she has had her mind really focused laser focused on the fact that she's born for greatness it doesn't matter when she's on that race track she knows who she is okay then some of us it's almost like life sends us into these deep waters where (laughs) we have to learn how to swim and through that we then build resilience over time through certain experiences and life you know coaches us if you like it gives us an exam all the time to be able to build that resilience and failure is actually a good teacher to to build resilience i know a lot of people get broken down by failure and rejection actually but once you decide from early on what is for you and, and set your mind to it one time. Be a very decisive, resolved person, determined again that, you know, actually, I am built to win. There's a, there's a book by uh, Jim Collins, um, Built to Last. It talks about how, you know, really companies that have been built, you know, almost to last forever. In fact, they were built through a period where things were not really quite, you know, conducive, if you like, you know, almost like you know, built during the 2008 uh, economic meltdown. And I was just actually reflecting about this this morning when I was writing an article for a client to say, you know, during this pandemic, a lot of people are thinking there aren't no opportunities, but actually companies that will see surface over the next 10, 20 years will be companies that have been built during this time because you need to train your mind. You see, the mind is almost a flexible muscle that you always have to train to not think of challenges as something to deter you from your goal. But you need to think of challenges as something that either tests your resolute, you know, your resolution. Because if you've decided to do something, it doesn't matter what comes along the way. You need to still say, this is what I've decided to do. Um, again, challenges would need to then stamp that process to say you've decided to be a great individual don't be a great individual when it when the weather is conducive only even when the weather is not conducive be a great individual because that way you'll be able to stand the test of time because that's what resilience is about resilience is not about oh i get into this environment and it's good for me so therefore i strive 
You need to strive everywhere, whether the environment is good or bad. But also, I want to mention that it doesn't mean that you have to go against mm. what you believe. So going into spaces that you know are not conducive for you because you want to prove your resilience, only become resilient to what you truly believe in. Only suffer for what you're willing to die for. And if that's your vision, then that's perfect because you're willing to, you know, work at it no matter what. Yeah, and I mean, wow, that's that's powerful. That's amazing. Now tell me one thing. So how important, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, let me ask it this way, faffing around, I need a mentor, but failing to understand what is the mentor-mentee relationship. Mm. And then when you sort of then engage these entrepreneurs and tell them that you might not necessarily need to consistently sit in front of someone, right? You could get that mentorship indirectly in some way or form. It sort of throws them off. How did you sort of identify your mentors? Um, needless to say of who they are. Mm. And how then do you navigate that sort of relationship so that anyone listening to this would understand that, you mm. know, so that when they sort of approach that sort of relationship, they, they go into it with understanding and are able to propose themselves in the right way. I love that question. So you've been my mentor for a very long time and you didn't even know that you were my mentor. I was just in the background watching what you do and how you do it and taking notes until I met you. And even then, the relationship was not automatically organic, right? It wasn't like instantaneously <laughs> oh my God, I'm happy to meet you. And yes, you know, then you were, you were like, actually, I've been waiting for you. I've been wanting someone to mentor. No, but I think the misconception about mentorship is that you think people are just waiting there, waiting for you to hold your hand and teach you how to do this or to, you know, walk you through a certain challenge. And I think it's a big misconception. Again, another misconception is that you need to have just one mentor. That's a, it's, it's a big misconception. What I do want to say is that you can have more than one mentor, people that know you or don't know you. But I think the secret to mentorship and long-lasting mentorship is that it needs to be organic, you know, almost timely if you like. It's almost like you're meeting this person and they've been wanting to do this with you. Well, not you per se, but with a person like you. And they see the fire in you and they want to be a part of that. And you want to, you know, because I think the mentee-mentor relationship I could say it's a very unfair one because most of the time mentors, you know, almost give, give, give and mentees take, take, take. And we don't understand that it actually is a give and take relationship mm. essentially. But how the mentor benefits is to see you rise to the heights that they didn't even imagine how them coming into your life would impact you. And you need to understand that them being in your life doesn't essentially mean that they must alter all their schedule to make time for you each time you want to talk. But it's to actually say, you know, how can I tap into, you know, this person's mind whenever I, I want to, you know, almost venture into something or I'm struggling with something or even... I've got something that I would like to do with them that does not require for them to give, but in this case, to give of me, my time, my talent, whatever, right? So you need to think of it that way, that it's a very symbiotic relationship that benefits both of you. But it's, you know, so almost the beneficial effect and the growing effect are not mutually exclusive because that's what we as individuals most of the time do. We, we think, ah, oh, you know, I need to go to this person and they must just give of themselves and their talent and their time, Um 
really to to the end of time and all I do is just like call them whenever I want to but you can identify someone in your industry or wherever and make them their mentor I mean Oprah is one of my mentors actually Michael Dadwell is one of my mentors um Prof Jordan is one of my mentors so and I read their books right because I think when I read what people think I understand their thinking pattern I learned, you know, their habits. One of the, you know, one, two books changed my life. It was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, I forget the, <laughs> forget the author now. But when I read that book, I, you know, almost for me, that was a life-altering moment because I understood what it took for me to be a high-performing individual and to be almost like uh, an outlier within my circle. And I really did become an outlier. Then the second book that actually really... <laughs> It, it actually, yeah, I never became the same after reading that book for me was, um, you know, what's that book? The Power of the Subconscious Mind. Um, yeah. When I read that book, I began to actually think about the thoughts that I was thinking, how I was imagining myself, the conversations I'm having, the people that I'm attracting, and how then, and I'm, you know, becoming these people that are all part of my journey, but know me or do not know me. And then in the metaphysical form, meeting Abu Lelani and understanding how that is a manifestation of all of the work that I've done. You keep triggering me with these things that you say, right? Now, <clears throat> two, two last questions, right? Yeah. Wow, we need to do like a part two. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need to do a part two. But now tell me something, right? So a lot of people sort of talk about manifesting in the sense of and i think i see it on twitter yeah where people put up candles yes and and i think before it was people just putting out incantations or whatever yeah. the case or is. even like 11 11 yeah exactly yeah. yeah how when you say manifest or bring to life what does that mean in the practical sense you know is it showing what does it mean you know mm. thoughts become things thoughts have personalities they either force you to do things or demolish the idea to do things every great thing even the studio even you know the table even you <laughs> were thought at a point in time and you've manifested right so that's how powerful thoughts are and that's what we don't understand as people so when you think of something that is a, a nudge in you know, almost the right direction to either continue with the, the idea or to not continue with it. It really is up to you. Now, where you're asking is, you know, whether the manifestation itself just simply happens because I've thought a thought or do I have to put work into it? You definitely have to put work into it. How it sustains itself is through what you have kind of match yourself through the vibrational match with the very desire that you have because everything is energy. Your thoughts are energy. We are energy, you know, like literally everything is translated into a vibrational match. Now, if you do not work yourself to think of yourself as a worthy individual with those thoughts and you manifest those things by chance or even just by deliberate effort, because sometimes you do something, then incidentally, it actually does happen. You then, you know, you either experience that for a while or you experience that for a very long time depending on the kind of work that you've done with yourself vibrationally. If you woke up every morning and think of yourself as a, a, an individual that's worthy of success, when you experience those experiences of success that have manifested in your life, then you are able to understand that that's just like a way of life. 
But then if you think of it as like episodes of things that just happen, you don't understand the kind of work that has actually come about. So for me, it's a thought process that is action and then it's almost like an experience that you have to sustain over time through the kind of actions that you take over and over and over again. And every day is a new experience. So if you then work every single moment to work to what's that very day that you're working towards, you won't be surprised when you finally meet like someone you've been thinking about for a very long time. We're definitely doing a part two. <laughs> but I think in wrapping up this part one, we'll call this a part one, in wrapping up this part one, <laughs> yeah. um, what are your... What is what are your I don't know closing out words? What's on your mind? What you want women, men, entrepreneurs, or anyone out there to know and hear? And then how then do they get a hold of you? Because my parting shot is to find something meaningful. When you find something meaningful, you work towards something that speaks to you as a as a person in your essence of your soul, and you create from that level. Because we are. All co- you know, we, co- we are cooperative components to the creation of the life that we want to live. Um, and also understand that when you work towards a meaningful life, everything that you do is aligned to purpose. Anything outside of that means nothing. And w- when you do everything that is aligned to purpose, you live down to the essence of who you are and you're bound to succeed. Um, how people get a hold of me, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Twitter, my Instagram handle is at Tulibi, and so is my Twitter handle. But otherwise, you know, you can email me um, at te.nklang.gmail.com and really live out to the best of her ability. She doesn't like the spotlight, but ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> give her the spotlights wherever and whenever you see her. Tule, thank you so much for this amazing part one. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you again next week. That's it for today. If you like that podcast, show us some love and share it with your network. Once again, follow us on all of our social media platforms, hashtag join us for tea, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Shout out to Joe Public for making this possible. Remember, Sisonke Rikaufela and Foster Njengom Zegezege.